All right, welcome back to the seventh Unconfirmed Transactions. This is the walking tour edition, or the traveling show, or the travel show, I don't know. The road show? Yes, the road show. So I'm on the move. Just left my apartment here in Brooklyn. And I'm heading to BitDevs NYC. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Yeah, I'm heading to Bit BitDevs, New York City. I think the topic tonight is decentralization, uh, but you'll hear some of that later. Um, there's a lot to cover, maybe, I think. So first off, let's see. Um, in show news, uh, me and Tone sort of had, had came to an agreement that we might not have him be uh, like a weekly guest per se. Uh, I think instead he's going to come on more organically. Because Tone, Tone was interested in having a podcast before this. And I think he was hoping that this could be that podcast. But I think in practice our like our visions or whatever don't don't aren't aligned so that, you know, He's gonna have a. He's probably gonna go start his own podcast now, which he should, and that and it'll be like the best podcast he can do that way. And then I'll, you know, stick with my own podcast. Oh man, I'm getting <laughs> so I'm walking on the street and uh, on the way to the subway right now, and I'm getting so many crazy looks. Uh, anyways, on the subway I won't get a single crazy look because they're used to <laughs> they're used to crazies on the subway. The rule of the subway is you don't you don't look at the crazies. You just ignore them, right? That's if you ever come to New York City and you have to take the subway, just you know, just do you <laughs> and ignore the rest of the world. It's like a practicing Zen or something. Anyways, uh but yeah, so I just the the whole weekly news roundup commentary on content, um it's not really the vision I had when I started. And talking to Tone was like a great opportunity, and it, you know, I, we're going to talk to him again, but um, I don't want it to become like a crutch. I want to be going out there getting like the good content. And right now, I'm going to BitDevs. You know, I think me, me podcasting from the subway is a kind of cool idea. Um, just getting out of my comfort zone, and I think it'll let me deliver the best show I can if I keep pushing the weird um Brittany Benz she got in touch with me she's gonna be in New York City this week so that's very exciting really looking forward to that um what else oh and beyond that <laughs> I put out a uh I made I took a, a, a New York City census map and I plotted over at ATMs Bitcoin ATMs in the New York City. There's like 50 to 60 uh, Bitcoin ATMs in New York City. It's the highest density of Bitcoin ATMs in the entire world, actually. Uh, I think in terms of in the US, similar countries are, you're looking at maybe Chicago, uh, Los Angeles. Those are probably the only other cities in the US that are on par in terms of density. Um, in the world, we're looking at maybe Japan places in Europe, like Germany, you can just um, look Google Bitcoin ATMs. You can see 
where they're at. But anyways, I made a map. I'll drop it in the show notes. And it's a census map. And it shows where the, um, the ATMs are. <laughs> and the kind of funny, the funny thing that, that for me was that it got picked up as a news story by Cointelegraph. <laughs> and uh, they cartoon, cartoonized me. But they put me in a suit, like, as an analyst or something like that, or some sort of consultant, which for me was just hilarious, because you know how we talk about suits, and we don't wear suits, but that's how they imagined me. And my, for me, it was exciting, because the headline was, like, about uh, drug dealing or whatever, you know? So it's crazy. What was else? So... All right, so where was I? Um, what else happened this week? Um, yeah, so the so Coin Telegraph picked up the the Bitcoin ATM map. I thought it was interesting. Uh, I kind of had it waiting because I was trying to talk to Bitcoin ATM uh, operators or the guys like in the bodegas who like see who uses them, and. I, I, I went to some bodegas and I approached the guys working and I was like, hey, like you guys have a Bitcoin ATM. That's pretty weird. Uh, what's the story on that? Would you talk to me about it? And no one would agree to be on a podcast, but I, I talked to some of them just like off the record or just like while I was talking to him. Um, and he's just like, yeah, well, I, I don't know. What do you want to tell you? Like uh, people come in, they use it and they leave like. <laughs> It's totally, you know, totally um, not interesting or, or, you know, it's benign that they have a Bitcoin ATM to the bodega, the guys working the bodega. Um, and I think when I, when I posted that on Reddit, the map on Reddit, uh, like there was a lot of, like, cognitive dissidence. And even in the article that picked it up, there's, I think there's a bit of cognitive dissidence about what's going on with these ATMs. So, sure, you can't say specifically that the the reason those ATMs are where they are is for illicit use. Uh, You could make the argument about remittance. Um, You know, I like that they live in that legal gray zone or like the ambiguity is obviously uh, useful for that company. But when it comes down to it, uh, you know, there, there, there's no shortage of remittance options for people here. When I bought a sofa in my neighborhood, they asked me if I wanted to deliver it in the neighborhood or to the Caribbean. So, like, there's no shortage of services like that in this area. Alright, so here we go on the subway. Hopefully I can find a corner that's a little you know a little nook that's a little bit less crazy um
Okay, so what else? Um, aside from that, so I just got on the subway, and you know, it's weird that I'm on the subway doing this, but people are going to ignore me because that's what people do on the subway. Uh, but here's a little interesting thing about the subway. So I just paid $2.35 one way because I, I don't pay for a. Uh, so it's going to cost me a total of $4.70 round trip to go to this meeting. And it's going to take me between 40 to 60 minutes to get where I'm going. And, you know, that's how it works. That's how it is. You can get a monthly pass. I think a monthly pass is like 120 bucks, And you get unlimited swipes. Um, but I don't go to Manhattan that often. I work from home. So I, I kind of just visit Manhattan. But it, it reminds me, taking the subway is a lot like, for me, like uh, confirmation times on the blockchain. So you pay a fee and you wait for your transaction to confirm. The same way you pay a fee to get on the subway and you wait for it to go where it's going. I don't see a whole lot of difference there, but, you know, millions of people use the subway. No one's... No one's, um, there's no one digging tunnels under New York City trying to make a more efficient subway. You know, um, you could argue that's because it's, cent it's centralized. You could argue all sorts of different things, but there's also options for people like cars. You can take a car if you want. You could ride a bike. You could walk, you know, but the people that take the subway, it's for some it's convenient, but for a lot of people it's how they get around. I don't own a car in the city. So when I want to go to Manhattan, I usually take the subway. I can get an Uber. I could take a cab, but that's a, it's a lot more expensive. But if I want to get there quicker, I'll do that. Um, and you could certainly argue that maybe it, the train should be free if it's like a public service or something. But you definitely wouldn't have libertarians arguing that. You wouldn't have libertarians arguing that the, the train should be free. They would be arguing for privatization and to, you know, to have a ticket price, which is how it exists right now. But a lot of times online I see it's the libertarians who are the ones arguing about the fees, like, oh, five, eight cents, that's way too crazy. And it's not, like, it just, it isn't. It's crazy that that's how low it is. <laughs> it's just backwards thinking. Oh, this is uh, this is really uh, off the cuff. Really, I'm I'm just uh, stream of consciousing on the on the subway. I'm not used to being the crazy one on the subway. Um, what else happened this week? So that was my bit on the subway. Um, beyond that, I I, I want to talk about domain names again because I did preview a domain name show on the last show that never uh, came to fruition. So I'll just talk about domain names anyways. For me, replacing the domain name system is like trying to replace all the roads. All the roads in, in the entire globe, you know, we're going to replace all of those roads and we're going to replace them with new roads that do exactly the same thing. But <laughs> that's, that's sort of the proposition of projects like Blockstack or EtherID and other domain name systems on the blockchain is that they're going to replace this deeply entrenched, very useful domain name system. It's 
so here so here's what happens if you try to use um block stack or ether id often you have to download special software or a special plugin um so you're you're already limiting yourself you know you some if someone has to take a special route to get to you like that's why i think open bazaar is so crazy is you have to download this special software and you can't, you can't be linked to a store. Like, what kind of craziness is that? Um, but if you were to, to tr try to go after domain names, you got to remember that the oldest, most longest registered domain is around 31 years old. So every the, ho the whole web is built on links, hyperlinks, hypertext and hyperlinks. And all those hyperlinks reference domain names. So links to files, links to other websites, links to other web pages. Um, think of how full of links any website is and then look at the fact that they all contain a domain name. Your email, the email you've used for the past 10 years, five years, 15 years, 20 years, depending if it's an AOL address or not, uh, or a Gmail address, that's a domain name. So you're, gonna, you're telling me you're gonna change everyone's addresses uh, no, that's not going to happen. It's just not. Um, I got an argument about it on um, the Coin Dojo, uh, and that kind of led me led me to leave more chat rooms. I left a lot of chat rooms one night because I just like drunk, and uh, what I do on these chat rooms is I just I I, li I live journal essentially. You know, I I blog my life, or I can't not engage. There's a lot of people that know how to lurk, and they're like really good lurkers. But I don't know how to lurk. Um, I only know how to engage. Um, it's just what it is. So I have to like shut myself out of these venues because I'll find myself just popping between all the chats, talking to all the same people, and wasting a lot of time. Um, but the the in the in the coin dojo, the the argument that I was having, this guy was basically telling me, because I own like 200 domain names, I'm blinded to like the fact that the domain name system is about to go away. Uh, he was saying like, oh, if censorship increases, of course people are gonna start adopting a new system, which is just absurd. It's just absurd on its face. So, you know, maybe he was trolling me, maybe he wasn't, but anytime there's an argument, it's like people constantly go at me about how like, it's always, it's the arguments I get in with people, it's always that they have a lack of specialization. You know, they're, they're they, they have no specialization in domain names. They have no specialization in like monetization, or they have no specialization in everything they're trying to do. And that's kind of why they're doing what they're doing. It's because they've like made a lot of assumptions and guesses, and they're trying to just replicate the old because it's easy, and y it's obvious. But like for example, AMP, AMP is AMP is some sort of token that's being pushed right now at the uh, Koala conference that just happened um they're trying to decentralize social networks they're just so uh, they're just co everyone's constantly trying to decentralize and replicate what already exists and that is just not the approach that works you gotta remember that bitcoin lived in obscurity and it filled a hole you know it lets you do things that you couldn't do before and that's why it, it thrives and, t and starts taking getting um 
traction. It's because it, it's opening up new ground. It's like a, a whole new plane of existence that Bitcoin's opened up. It, it's not going after Visa transactions. It's not going after um, bank wire transfers or whatever. It's, it's allowing people to send value quickly without permission across borders to, and to have con control of their value. You know, you don't have to trust a bank to, to hold your value. You don't, maybe you don't need to trust um, a counterparty to escrow. So it's, it's, that's, that's my whole spiel on that. Man, I, I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it's harder to do a podcast on uh, the subway than I expected because people are, people are kind of like, who's this crazy kid? Um, the other thing that, I got, that happened to me this week is I got in an argument with Bren Brendan Ike. Um, apparently, he invented JavaScript. Um, apparently, he co-founded Mozilla. And he's now the CEO of Brave Software. And um, basically, I tweeted at someone who was hyping it that it's a bad idea. And he showed up to tell me that I was wrong. And then I showed up to tell him he's an asshole. And then, in so many words, he told me that I was an idiot. But, you know, the Brave browser, I really hate to see it get hyped the way it's hyped. So anytime you have something that's new, it, well, it's not really new, it's the old, but it's, it's brand new again, plus Bitcoin. You see people right away hype it, and they just read the copy. They, they superficially understand it. And then they go out and they hype it. But if you actually look at Brave, in my opinion, you, do you know those Internet Explorer? Like if you, you're at your parents' house and you open up their computer and there's like three or four toolbars on their Internet Explorer and they're like injecting ads. So Brave is that toolbar as a browser. It's nothing new, but it's really, I, I'm really, I don't think it'll take off. But if it does take off, I'm really worried about it because it's such a, it's so fucking, you know, um, so here's the deal. Here are the reasons Bitcoiners r like really shouldn't support Brave. First off, they're a central organization, okay? So they're blocking it here. <laughs> I, I, there's so many things I hate about it. I don't know where, where to start. So they're going to block ads on my website and then replace those ads with their ads. Here, here's the pitch for Brave. The Brave software or Brave browser's pitch is ads are bad, but our, get, our ads are good. So there's a lot of like double think at play there for you to accept that premise. Um, and you see him, and I'll, I'll link to the Twitter argument I had with him, but he keeps harping on how, you know, web browsers are like victims and they're just defending themselves. And they're getting a, they're not getting a fair deal. It, but that, that just, uh, it's so frustrating. Like how, how much more of a fair deal can you get than free content? Um, so in my opinion, as someone who makes content and produces websites and eats off ad revenue and pays rent with ad, rev ad revenue, it infuriates me that this guy showed up to make this browser 
which is going to remove my ads, replace them with his ads, and then he's going to cut me back in. <laughs> that there's there's a lot fucked up with that. So let me let me because I understand most people don't have a specialization in content monetization, let alone content creation. Um, but let me let me put it differently. Like imagine I own a house by a highway, and a company approaches me to build a billboard in my backyard, and they're going to pay me monthly for that billboard. And um, you know the the people driving in their car, they have to maybe see the ad, but they probably won't see the billboard ad because they're so blind to billboards to begin with. But I mean, it's a very small. I mean, come on. The, the idea that you're a victim for seeing my ad is really absurd. Um, but imagine Brave as be being someone that shows up in the middle of the night, wheat, wheat paste over the billboard, and then tells me, oh, no, 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 don't worry. Uh, we're we're going to cut you in for 70% 70 of the deal. <laughs> it's it's it, To me, it's like a protection racket. Like, they're... They were like breaking breaking the windows of my store and then telling me not to worry about it. They're only going to take thirty percent. Um, so that's part of it. I mean, there's a lot more I could say. Um, they're offering from the get-go the the revenue split is fifty-five percent, forty-five percent. Google AdSense is sixty-eight percent, thirty-two percent. So they're not even competitive to existing solutions. Um, that's one way you can look at it. Another way you could look at it is um, don't fucking, you know, fuck with my website. Um, I, I, bas I told him that it's revenue theft and somebody came out and they said, it's not revenue theft. You, you, don't, you don't have like a, no one is. Um, this is a Manhattan Okay, sorry. I uh, just hold on a second. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, so I said it. I, in my opinion, it's, it's like it's theft, pure and simple. And someone came along to say revenue theft is an oxymoron because no one is um, like guaranteed or deserves revenue necessarily. But you know, I agree with that from a certain perspective. But Brave isn't like a competitor that's out-competing me, taking market share, and um, I'm just like not competitive and I therefore lose revenue. That's not what's going on at all. <laughs> it's just not at all what's going on. They're the billboard example, okay? Imagine you have that billboard and that company has agreed to pay you $2,000 a month, okay? And you get that money. Brave shows up, they put their, they slap their ads over your ads, and they tell you, oh, no, 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 don't worry. We're going to give you 70%. But what if they're only able to generate $1,000 with that billboard space? Should I be thankful for them that they've turned my $2,000 payment into a $700 payment? No. <laughs> so <laughs> I think there's a, like, you know, I really, I, I see people lining up to support Brave, and they think it's really cool, but it's fucking stupid is all, you know? Furthermore, 
Here's another thing. Um, if you look at the Brave team, okay, look at their About Us page, how many people are on ad sales? How many people are in ad operations? How many people are in the marketing department? It's all software engineers, you know? That's what I kept telling Brendan is like, look, it's cool that you invented JavaScript, but when it comes down to it, you have no specialization in monetization. So he's going to, here's the, here's the thing that they don't tell you in the copy, but if you look at the, the business model, you can understand it. They need to convince people that they're, they have to, they have to get people to adopt their browser so that you can't say no to them <laughs> as a website content generator. So if they, if they get 70% market share and they replace all your ads with their ads, you have no control now over your business if your business is ad revenue. You know, or what, you, you change your ads, you try to optimize your ads, you try to sell your ad space, it doesn't matter because they replace it with their ads. That's fucked up. I don't know how people don't think that's fucked up. So they have to get themselves in a position where you can't say no to them. Like uh, you, you, the way I would explain them is they're a, you pay me now, ad ad star that you can't say no to. <laughs> And why, do, why, is, why are people excited about that? It doesn't make any sense. Hold on, I gotta check out the map, make sure I'm taking the right train. So, sorry, uh, I hope the show's not bad because of all the, all the cuts. Um, here's another way to put it. Here's their, here's their marketing plan, you know? Okay, attract people because it's Bitcoin. Attract people because it's an ad blocker and people don't want to pay for things. Tell people that ads are out to get them so they, there's a fear element to it. And then they also, as part of their model, they want to give the users 15% of the ad revenue. So not only do you, you get the free content, you dirty motherfuckers, you get 15% of the revenue. Why should I pay you to, <laughs> why do I pay you to give you content? That doesn't, that doesn't work. And the only reason it works is because they are stealing the ad revenue they're giving you. And they're making you complicit in the, in the racket that they're creating. There's no reason I should pay you to read my content. The content I'm giving you is valuable. And I put ads alongside it to try and capture <laughs> some money back, you know, and I make it up on scale. Um, so that's their model. Well, that's their approach, is they, they need to get traction 
they need to get users so that they can steal enough ads to, so that they can get to a point where people, uh, they can start making ad deals. But you gotta remember, they don't have a pool of advertisers. Like, you really, just look at what Google AdSense does. Google AdSense paid out $2.8 billion in, the, in quarter four of 2016. $2.8 billion in quarter four of 2016. Brave is gonna now block all those ads and try to capture that revenue for themselves. They're trying to cut themselves in on that deal, but they have no specialization there. Like, what, what is Brave doing that justifies them taking 45% of my revenue? And it's not even of my revenue. It's 45% of whatever they can generate. And I know they don't know how to generate revenue because there's no one there with a specialization in that. They don't have a... They have a very shallow pool of advertisers and they have very untargeted traffic by design, you know, because they're making it anonymous or anonymized in the tracking. So they can't target users well. That means they have very untargeted traffic. They have a very shallow pool of advertisers and they're going to get terrible, terrible, terrible RPMs. But they don't care. You gotta remember, they don't give a shit about the performance because they're stealing all of the ads. So like <laughs> what you get for free who cares what we get out of it as long as we scale up high enough that we can skim our 45, 30% or 15%, whatever they, whatever they say they're taking. It's, it's a scam. It's adware disguised as a browser. Um, it's extremely frustrating for me to see. Um, I tried to write an article about it, but it just, it basically, there's too many curse words in it for anyone to publish it. Um, so here, so here's something that, so like, I, for example, I just sold some websites that I own. I sold those websites to, the, the majority of the revenue came through Google AdSense. Google AdSense takes, six, gives me 68% of the revenue. Now I sold the websites to one of the advertisers directly. So now they get to own what they used to advertise on. Uh, if Brave catches on, I don't have that ability, okay? Like, if, if I sell the website directly to an advertiser and they put up their ads instead, those ads are still going to get blocked because Brave is the new you-pay-me-now ad SAR that you can't say no to, you know? Oh, we're going to make you a deal you cannot refuse. That's their pitch. That's their pitch to content creators. And then at the same time, they're telling users... Oh, we're going to cut you in on this deal. <laughs> that, so that's, what, that's plain and simple what they're doing. They're strong-arming content creators, and they're, they're, they're going to cut in the users so that they can scale up in their theft. But it's purely theft. And part of me thinks, like, you got you to remember that the guy that uh, is the CEO of Brave, he invented JavaScript, right? So I kind of, you can kind of say, because he always harps on malware and bad ads, you could kind of say that he invented this problem. By inventing JavaScript, he kind of caused the problem he's now solving. I, I also kind of think that he's a little mad that he invented JavaScript, but then companies like Facebook, Google, YouTube, everyone that uses JavaScript, like the whole internet uses JavaScript, he doesn't get a piece of that. And he's probably a little butthurt. And I think he's come up with this idea to cut himself a piece of all that. 
So look at the ad copy again, look at the website, but just remember that their pitch is ads are bad, but our ads are good. Ads are out to get you, and we're gonna pay you to help us steal the ads. Uh, and no one can tell us no once we become at scale. Uh, uh, if, if they ever get a, a big chunk of the market share, the problem is that you can't tell them no. So, I don't know what else more to say. Um, I don't know what else there is to say about it besides that. It's blatantly a strong arm tactic, you know, it's a strong arm move. And so, you know what, you know what I, have to, I have to address the users, so a lot of other people, what they said was, um, you know what, I'm willing to pay for good content. So, yeah, maybe this will block the ads, but it will let me pay the people directly. And that's just like a social justice warrior cognitive dissonance situation, because no, you fucking won't pay, you know, like, oh, maybe you'll throw $5 in once. Maybe you'll throw in $10 once. Like, you don't know what you're worth to the website. You don't know. You have no fucking clue how much people make or don't make. You, 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 <laughs> you know, like, if I have a concert venue and I let people name the price on the way in at the door, how many people do you think are going to pay the full ticket price? Like, come on. Like, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's really bad. It's really, really bad, guys. They're saying this is going to reshape how the web looks. They're saying this is going to, like, really revolutionize thing and make it so content creators and users can, like, have a more direct experience. But take a look at Patreon.com or Patreon.com. There are some people making good money with that for monthly payments. But you're going to have to also consider how large their audience is. Like, somebody with, like, a million followers on YouTube, yeah, of course they can scrounge around and get like a few hundred thousand people, hundred two thousand people to pay them. But you can't get at that level of scale without having ad revenue all, all along the way so that you can pay for your content creation. Um, I know on my websites, and this isn't the high, this is like a mid range, this, this is pretty good for AdSense, but I make 25 to $30 per thousand views. So are you willing to pay three cents for every single web page you look at? Um, no, I don't think you are. I, I don't think you want to live in that world, and I know you don't want to live in that world because you're just a user and you just want things for free. And I, I like things for free too. I do the same thing. So that's why you have ads. Ads exist for a reason. You're not going to... So it's, it gets back to the whole replacing domain name systems, right? Um, you're not going to get... You're just not gonna displace this thing. Same way you're not gonna displace the domain name system. You're not gonna replace the existing ad monetization ad industry, which is in the billions, by replacing it just with, you know. <laughs> the thing is too, they're, they're not, all they're doing is they're replacing my ads with their ads. And they're gonna be the central ads are. They have no specialization in monetization. They have no incentive, they're, they're not aligned with me, you know. And you could say, oh, Google ads, and Google is just like that. Google is already that monopoly. But Google fucking earned that, you know? Google sends me the majority of my traffic. Google gives me awesome free tools. Google has a massive pool of advertisers. Google has 12 to 13 years experience in targeting people. And they know how to monetize and optimize for me. So they're providing me a very valuable service. 
So I, I don't mind giving them 30% of my revenue because if I had to do it myself, I'd have to be pounding the pavement, calling up advertisers, I'd have to be doing all sorts of things. But the cool thing about Google AdSense is if I want to have a direct ad relationship with somebody, I can replace the Google AdSense unit with that direct relationship. Um, Google, you know, I agree to be in a relationship with Google and I can leave at any time. With Brave, they don't give it the option. You don't, you, you don't s sign a deal with them. They just show up, smash your front windows, uh, replace them with new windows, and then they're like, oh, you should thank us. You should cut us in now. It's, it's obviously a scam. It's obviously a strong arm tactic. It's obviously a racket. But they're, you know, look at, look at the copy. Read it. It's all there between the lines. But you're just a mere internet user. Same way you're not a Bitcoin user. You're just a mere uh, mon like internet user. That's all it is. Oh, man. I, I'm getting lost uh, in thought here. I need to double check where we are. Right, Canal Street. So we're going to be there soon. All right. Um, that was a long-ass rant. I need to take a break um, before the the um, the event. Drink some water, um, cool down a bit. But that's that's my rant on that. Oh wait, one last thing, because there's so so much stuff happens uh, between, like so much happens in a week in Bitcoin, and then I'm editing the show, then I'm planning a new show, and then I'm working on my own stuff. Um, a long time ago, which is I mean two three weeks, I posted a Twitter poll. And it, the question was, who's the dumbest man in Bitcoin, Chris DeRose or Joshua Unseth? And I'm proud to announce that Joshua Unseth is the dumbest man in Bitcoin. He won by, he won 41 to 40. So one vote. Um, they were dead even. Um, just by, so just separated by one vote. But that's all you need to win. Whether it's an inch or a mile, winning is winning. That's a uh, Fast and Furious quote. All right, so I'm going to take a break. I'm going to play now for you a clip from Slavoj Žižek's um, Pervert's Guide to Ideology. Uh, enjoy. And think about how blockchain is like the ode to joy in this clip. What does this famous ode to joy stand for? It's usually perceived as a kind of a ode to humanity as such, to the brotherhood and freedom of all people. And what strikes the eye here is the universal adaptability of this well-known melody. It can be used by political movements which are totally opposed to each other. In Nazi Germany, it was widely used to celebrate great public events. In Soviet Union, Beethoven was lionized and the Ode to Joy was performed almost as a kind of a communist song. In China, during the time of the Great Cultural Revolution, when almost all Western music was prohibited, the Ninth Symphony was accepted. 
it was allowed to play it as a piece of progressive bourgeois music. At the extreme right, in South Rhodesia, before it became Zimbabwe, it proclaimed independence to be able to postpone the abolishment of apartheid. There, for those couple of years of independent South Rhodesia, again, the melody of the Ode to Joy with changed lyrics, of course, was the anthem of the country. At the opposite end, when Abimael Guzman, Presidente Gonzalo, the leader of Sendero Luminoso, the Shining Path, the extreme leftist guerrilla in Peru, when he was asked by a journalist which piece of music is his favorite, he claimed again Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, Ode to Joy. When Germanys were still divided, and their team was appearing together at Olympics. When one of the Germans won golden medal, again, Ode to Joy was played instead of either East or West German national anthem. And even now, today, Ode to Joy is the unofficial anthem of European Union. It's truly that we can imagine a kind of a perverse scene of universal fraternity where Osama bin Laden is embracing President Bush, Saddam is embracing Fidel Castro, white racist is embracing Mao Zedong, and all together they sing Ode to Joy. It works. And this is how every ideology has to work. It's never just meaning. It always has to also work as an empty container, open to all possible meanings. It's, you know, that gut feeling that we feel when we experience something pathetic and we say, oh my God, I'm so moved, there is something so deep. But you never know what this depth is. It's a void. Uh, now, of course, there is a catch here. The catch is that, of course, this neutrality of a frame is never as neutral as it appears. Here, I think, the perspective of Alex from The Clockwork Orange enters. We were all feeling a bit shagged and fagged and fashed, it having been an evening of some small energy expenditure, oh my brothers. So we got rid of the auto and stopped off at the Corova for a nightcap. Why is Alex, this ultimate cynical delinquent, the hero of Clockwork Orange, why is he so fascinated, overwhelmed, when he sees the lady singing Beethoven's Ode to Joy? And it was like for a moment, oh my brothers, some great bird had flown into the milk bar and I felt all the malanky little hairs on my plot standing endwise, and the shivers crawling up like slow malanky lizards, and then down again, 
because I knew what she sang. It was a bit from the glorious ninth by Ludwig van. Whenever an ideological text says all humanity unite in brotherhood, joy and so on, you should always ask, okay, 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 but are these all really all or is someone excluded? I think Alex, the delinquent from Clockwork Orange, identifies with this place of exclusion. And the great genius of Beethoven is that he literally staged this exclusion. All of a sudden, the whole tone changes into a kind of a carnivalesque rhythm. It's no longer this sublime beauty. Excuse me, brother. I ordered this two weeks ago. Can you see if it's arrived yet, please? Just a minute. We hear this vulgar music precisely when Alex enters a shopping arcade and we can see from his movements that now he feels at home. He's like fish in the water. Okay, so we're back. I uh, took a little break there. So I hope you enjoyed that clip. I know it was, it's kind of uh, apropos of nothing, but... Um, that's that's how it goes. That's the that's the new show, same as the old show, more weird, more strange. Um, that's how it is. And I, I, I so other people. I guess the whole rant I just got into before that clip was uh, basically you got to realize that you have no specialization, or you know, know your role. Um, other stuff that happened this week, so I want to give a shout out to arbitrage underscore. He was pretty cool. Uh, he called me up. He, he, I talked to him for like a half hour, a little consulting. I didn't charge him or anything because he's a good anarcho-millinerist, but uh, I had a good time talking with him. The, the, the basic chat we had was about um, private blockchains so he could go into a corporate boardroom and convince his bosses that they don't need it, which I thought was hilarious. So shout out to Arbitrage underscore. Uh, he's always on Bitcoinarchy. Everyone should be on our Bitcoinarchy, by the way. Um, other things I did this week is I actually went into a, uh, a company. What they do is they create ETFs to they do what they call thematic investing. So they create ETFs. One of the ETFs, uh, and I met this kid at the Ethereum meetup, and I've been emailing with him, and he invited me to his office on Friday. They do these things called brainstorming sessions. So I dropped in on that, and... Um, so they have like an ETF that tries to track 3D printing. They have an ETF that tries to track um, autonomous vehicles. They have an ETF that tracks uh, genomics. And it was really weird to see. Um, the CEO of that company, but her prior job was managing $5 billion in assets. And what she basically told me at the end was after I had talked about the blockchain, was like, oh, that was great. Thanks for coming. Like, I hope you come back. I was like, yeah, maybe. She's like, oh, well, we're a different kind of financial firm. You know, like, the market's been doing great for the past 30 years, but it's not going to keep going that well. So we have to um, get ahead of it. So basically, she thinks that she can time the market, that she can beat the market, and she set up a fund to do that. And the, But the brainstorm meeting, it really, you know, it really is like what Josh and Chris said is... Um, 
the weirdness when you if you accept that you can't beat the market how weird it is to sit in a room and have people go around and talk about how they're going to catch the next trend it was basically a meeting where you know kids were, kids my age i'm 25 i'm 26 uh, but the kids were like 23 to 28 or whatever like you know just ask recent college grads and they're sitting there basically reading google news to these adults to like tell them what's going on but they're just reading google news you can tell that they just have a superficial understanding of what's going on but they know how to like talk about it like they do they have some sort of idea it was it was fun because i got to talk about blockchain but it was also kind of gross um yeah i don't know what else to say about that like the, one of the guys that, w- that was at the meeting was he was he was like trying to get me to tell him how the blockchain is going to like fix healthcare or like uh, you know medical data, and I told him what I think is that you know it's a Gordian knot that the blockchain won't cut, and he didn't, you know he didn't want to hear that because he he thinks that it'll solve all his problems. So the spiel I gave them was, uh, you know, the, the spiel that no one ever wants to hear, but we talk about on Bitcoin Uncensored, Unconfirmed Transactions, and just, you know, anarcho-millimistic adherence in general, is that Bitcoin's for the underserved, it's for permissionless value transfer, and it may be a sort of ETF or index for for the, those markets, or dark markets, for example. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that didn't go over well, as it usually never does. <laughs> but so basically when I told that to one guy he, the, the AI specialist he was like so what is it good how is it useful to normal people I'm hearing you tell me that it's not useful for normal people but <laughs> normal is like a oh that's a very loaded phrase you know like what is normal to you is a very subjective thing um but that's, that's the thing about the underserved is they're so hard to see because you're not the underserved. If you're listening to this, you're probably not the underserved, you know? I don't know why you'd be mad about like hearing that, but you're not the underserved and you don't see the underserved. Same way like when you're walking on the street, you don't see the homeless people. You just ignore them, right? <laughs> the thing that really got me about this guy trying to like because he had already, they had all come to the decision, like, ahead of time, that blockchain is going to solve all their problems. So, when you come and tell people that it won't, you get a lot of weird cognitive dissonance. I know I've said that word, like, three times this show, but that's really what you get is, you know, there's people with these, they've already said, like, oh, I want, I want to use the blockchain. And they don't care to hear that that's not a good idea. But here's my analogy I came up with now that I've had this meeting and the guy was like, what do you mean the Bitcoin blockchain is not good for the healthcare? Healthcare has so many problems. This is going to solve it, right? 
No, it's not. It's really not. And the analogy I came up with is it's like telling somebody that a pipeline moves oil. That's what a pipeline does. It moves oil. And then hearing that and then going, oh, now, how is that pipeline going to solve resumes or something like that? <laughs> like, we have a real problem with resumes online and uh, analysis and analyzing resumes and picking the best resume <laughs> and validating the resume. So how is this oil pipeline going to solve that? Um, it's, it won't. <laughs> it, it, it's just not. And, you know, that should be self-evident. But people, you know, it, so think, I, here's another thing. So if you listen to the Zizek clip I put in, he, he makes the point that an ideology has to be to seem deep but have nothing there so that you can sort of project whatever you want into it. That's exactly what's happening with blockchain right now. It seems deep because it's wrapped up in complicated technical terms for a lot of times. It seems deep, but there's nothing there. And because of that, you can project whatever you want on it. And that's the basis of all these pumps, of all these scams. Hold on, let me... Oh, I'm almost at the meetup. I'm just checking my... Um, I'm checking the location. 43 West, 23rd. It's 40. I think I might have to turn the recorder off on my way in so I don't get stopped on the way in. Um... <sighs> yeah, but I'm excited to go to this meetup because we're going to be talking about decentralization and how decentralized is enough, how do you measure decentralization, how it's important. Uh, so that'll be pretty good. At least they're talking about the right things, you know. Motherfucker, am I going the right way? Oh, I'm on the wrong side of the road, that's why. But yeah, the reason I did the sort of road show today is because I thought it'd be cool if uh, if I could produce it well, and I don't think I have produced it well, but I thought it'd be cool to have like a walk along, a traveling tour. Uh, I don't even know if the background side noises are picked up. I don't know if they're drowning me out, but if you're ever in New York City, you should definitely check out BitDevs, BitDevs NYC. It's a meetup group. I mean, this, this is the kind of meetup group where they talk about pull requests, like really technical, good stuff. All right, so I'm gonna I'm going in now. I'm gonna turn this off. Go on the fly. We don't edit this. So what brings you out? I don't edit this. <laughs> you must edit this. It's a podcast. You have to edit this. Uh, so I've been uh, researching the space for a couple years, and every everything I learn about it is. I always find fascinating, and the further and further down into the bits of it that I get, uh, the more interesting it becomes. So I always like to participate when there's a group gathering, and the debate style is pretty interesting for me, uh, just to hear, uh, you know, different perspectives and, and where people are in in, the, in coming into uh, learning about the space. So it's kind of a twofold thing: try to pick up some new stuff, and also hear about what people are interested in. Very cool. So is this your first time out to the BitDevs NYC? Or do you, I mean, what's, what's your feeling for this versus other meetups? Uh, 
Uh, this is probably one of the better meetups that I've been to. I've been to a handful of them. Um, this one has, I mean, the information is, is pretty dense. Uh, they do a pretty good job of trying to find the pulse of what happened over the last couple of weeks, uh, and that's a lot of information usually, but uh, it's one of the best ways to keep like my finger on the pulse of what's what the developments are in the space. So for that, I, I really find it helpful for me just to kind of keep up to date and up to speed with the things that change in the space because everything changes so fast. Every very cool, very cool. So, so uh, last question would be, what? how would you describe yourself? Are you a coder? Are you a, a biz dev? Are you interested, like, just casually? Or is this something you do professionally? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a dev. There's a lot of devs here. I'm not a dev. Uh, just an enthusiast. Uh, I think the space is, is one of the most interesting spaces and development um, that's come along. Uh, the, the people here are are very, very interesting with their ideas, uh, and they're very smart, and that's a good room to be in. Um, but I've been to a couple other meetups with um, IPFS and Ethereum, and there's a, a huge paradigm shift that's happening about trying to re-architect a lot of the systems that have the legacy systems that are already in place. So this is, seems to me to be a huge shift, uh, a pivot point for technology. So I find that really fascinating. All right, thanks for talking to me. All right, so what brings you out? Oh, just curiosity, I guess. See what's going on. And when did you first hear about Bitcoin? Uh, it was a couple years ago, but I've got a lot more interested in it in the last few months. What makes you, what really excites you about Bitcoin? Well, I think a lot of fintech innovation is restrained by regulation, and this is the one area that's totally unrestrained. I think that's really exciting. Thanks. So what brings you out? Um... I'm just trying to see where this technology is headed. I see that you're a coder here because you actually are coding while you're waiting. <laughs> are you a Bitcoin coder? Uh, no, I mostly do like full stack web development pretty much. So, but I, I, I am sort of interested in like sort of what Ethereum is doing, but it's a little different from Bitcoin. But so, so what is it the kind of the thing that attracts you here? Or is it, you know, you're not sure yet? What attracts me here is just like the, I, I like emerging technology, so I like being an early adopter in things. Um, and this is definitely an emerging technology that still, I still, it still hasn't reached its masses yet, the masses yet, so it's still pretty new, I think. Great, thanks. All right, Jane, what brings you out? Um, because recently I'm just very interested in this topic. And I know like a lot of people, because um, very interested in the concept of decentralized system behind the Bitcoin, which is blockchain. So I know there are a lot of possibilities there. Like you can bring a lot of innovation, like the, you can build the application based on this system. Um, right now I'm the UX designer, so I just want to explore this possibility and know this new technology. Some people will say like it's relevant to the internet 20 years ago, so I was very interested in that. So I'll see what will happen in the future. I appreciate it. We, we're starting, sorry.
It's fine. It'll be fun. All right. So, so I'm here with Tapan. We met at the last. Uh, actually, we met at the Ethereum meetup uh, a couple weeks ago, and so you're back here again. What did you think about this meetup or this this debate we just had about decentralization? Well, it was excellent, actually. So I'm a newbie. I'm still like trying to learn, and this is like absolutely fantastic. It's very well organized, and they break break everything up in in a very good fashion in a, in a decent way so that you know somebody like me can still like try and understand they send out like material where you can you know at least be prepared for this meetup right so I think I think it's fantastic it's also interesting uh, today there was a uh, Peter Todd was here and Trace Mayer's here um, it's interesting to see how uh, to get like their like real live opinion like on the fly what do you think about that well yeah absolutely I mean you know I heard Peter Todd and uh, MID Bitcoin Expo as well Right, and I mean, these guys are like contributing so much. I mean, their time and everything, and of course, like coming here and providing their valuable, you know, experience and you know what they think about how things are. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. All right, thanks. All right, I just got out of BitDev's NYC meetup. Um, actually, I'm coming from the bar afterwards, and I wasn't able to record there at all. Or, I mean, I, I probably could have recorded there, but I just didn't because it's just not cool, man. Uh, but it was, it was a nice meetup. They had a debate about decentralization. Um, a lot of focus on validation and the ability of miners to change consensus rules. Uh, I came up and my basic thing that I added was just that I think as long as we're able to have censorship resistant permissionless value transfer, I'm pretty happy with the level of decentralization. Um, but yeah, the, the, I guess the weird thing about this meetup was that I keep, now that I have started this podcast, I'm meeting people who uh, listen to the podcast. Um, I'm also meeting people who listen or at least know of Chris DeRose and Joshua Unseth. And uh, extremely polarizing. You know, I haven't been to a meetup yet where someone didn't tell me they. They hate Christopher Rose and Joshua Unseth. Uh, I guess that's fine. Not for everyone. You know, they're some of my favorite people. But it's not, you know, just not for everyone. But that was, that was pretty good. I, I The thing that I liked the most about this meetup was that it was set up as a debate. Um... And, P and Peter Todd was there, so so he was he kept. Well, Peter Todd had the most to say out of everyone, but he probably has the most um, spent the most time thinking about it as well. So that kind of made sense to, for him to do that. <laughs> 
I'm getting so many weird looks. Crazy mad looks on the subway. Talking with a microphone. <laughs> I, might, I, I might have to like not do this right now. Getting crazy mad looks. Um, what else? Oh, so la the first time I went to Bit BitDevs NYC, there was a uh, clear scam coin on the rise. And I didn't get their name or get their info, but this time I met somebody who, you know, I'm going to call it out. I'm going to call it out early that this is a scam, and it's called um, AI Coin. I don't know if people have heard this, but it's called AI Coin. Uh, they said they were there to hire 10 blockchain developers which is, uh, you know, more blockchain developers than you can find. And they launched their blockchain in the past, and then they, like, pulled it back or something like that. Like, they launched it, and then they were like, fuck, 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 and they changed it. And... Um, <laughs> so I was, I was asking about it, like, it was obviously a scam, like, because it's called AI coin. Like, I can tell you that it's a scam based off the name. But, I, you know, I asked her about it because she was sitting across from me as I was eating. Got some info. Um, and it's a proof-of-stake coin. And I was, like, asking about, like, you know, because she was saying you know, it was immutable and all this other stuff. So I was asking about the security model. And she told me that it was all under NDA. Uh, so she couldn't tell me. I was like, that's not going to work. So it sounds like they're running like closed source or something. Um, they said they have all the funding they need. They have all the clients they need. So like they don't really need to go telling people what they're doing, they're, they're, what their secret sauce is. So I would say that's an obvious scam. Um, I'm going to have to Google it when I get home. But I, I can just tell you from talking with her that it's a scam. Um... One of the interesting things was I sat down afterwards at the bar next to Eris Industries. The I'm, I'm I'm not sure what his name is. He's the one that looks the most like a marmot, and I, I mean that in a good way. But I actually enjoyed his company. I don't like his like what their company do or like the idea of a blockchain platform. I think that's probably not going to work. But I did like him because actually, as I was talking to the AI person, AI coin person, and I was like kind of pulling pulling the stupid or like giving her an opportunity to show me her stupid um he kind of enjoyed that <laughs> but yeah he, he was pleasant enough um so, so I w here's the thing beyond people like listening to the show and commenting on it which is awkward for me I mean I guess I can't I should should expect that though you know it's like it's whatever uh it's kind of like what you sign up for when you start broadcasting, I guess. But one of the things that, that happened was Jonathan from the Bitcoin NYC meetup was there and he took issue with some of the things I said about him. Well, the thing the, 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 he took issue with the fact that I said his name wrong. So I won't say his name wrong again. His, I know his first name is Jonathan. I know the rest of his name is...
So yeah, I just cut I just cut the audio out because I was a uh, <laughs> I tried to catch a train that wasn't my train, so I had to check in on that real quick. So in New York City, at the later it gets, it's like midnight now. But the later it gets, the the longer the distances is between trains. So I had to check in on that. Anyways, so Jonathan came up to me and his first issue was that I said his name wrong, and then the second issue was that I was completely wrong. So I I gave him I asked him if he wanted to correct the record right there which he you know he, he didn't feel like it which is fine uh, but basically I, the, the, I made a point I, I, I misunderstood his point about the 20 or 27 pages of legal legalese that Ethereum has um, I guess I misrepre- misrepresented his point as that's going to protect them and he he his point was that it won't protect them so i'm sorry i misrepresented his point uh i misunderstood his point but you know like i told him like it's not you know it's a two-way street like maybe me misunderstanding your point also has something to do with how you made your point which wasn't well received but you know it's what it is Um, what else happened? I'm trying to think. Um, oh, I guess the awkward thing that I might change in editing, but, you know, I probably won't, is that I talked earlier about a investment firm that I went to this week and how I thought what they were doing is kind of, I don't know, silly or lacking in depth for the amount of money they seem to be investing. Um and spending <laughs> and when I got to the meetup the lady that I talked about the, the head of the, the firm she sat next to me at the at the meetup and invited me to come back again uh, so that was awkward for me I don't know if they listen or not so I guess this is this is a conundrum I'm, I've entered now is that you know this is episode 7 and I'm, I'm already stepping on a lot of toes, and I see the reputation that Chris and Josh have built for themselves among some people. It's not good. It's not very good. Um, you know, that's what that's what it is. I just want to participate honestly and you know show people what it's like, or hope people can relate to, you know, the confusing confusingness of the meetup. One of the good discussions I had at the meetup was about how it's possible that everything that's happening on happening right now in terms of blockchains or altcoins is not going to matter in the future. Like there's so many things that are being proposed as being really important right now which in retrospect in the future are going to be not even footnotes. So my, and and here's my strategy that I've adopted and you're witnessing my strategy is to participate honestly to try not to be an oracle and also be skeptical of anyone else trying to be an oracle to remind everyone that they're dumb and I'm dumb and we're all dumb and we're just learning and during this period which I think is you know it's still it's so early 
it seems like maybe right now we're at a point where you know hobbyists we're still like in the garage we're still hacking in the garage but the weird thing right now is that we're hacking in the garage and all the investors are there throwing money into the mix and there's people selling the garage for millions and um i think a lot of those companies will run out of money i don't think they're going to make it over the hump per se and we'll have the you know the ones that will survive will matter for sure but there's a lot of noise right now and, and then that's why i'm leaving chat rooms that's why i'm you know i don't I, I try not to follow the news uh, or, or like read the CoinDesk article so much. I check out like the headlines. I'll read the copy. I'll look at the white papers, and I follow individual people. One of the biggest questions I, uh, that's discussed at these meetups is how do you find the signal and the noise? And it seems like the best way is to go to these meetups and talk to people, find out what they're interested in, see what they're about off the record, you know, and really hear what they got to say. And the other thing I would suggest is following people that people that you like, but, but like for what they have to say or bring to the table or their filter, but not necessarily people you agree with. Um, like I, Peter Todd was at this meetup and I like Peter Todd a lot. I like, I like um, the content he produces, but I don't necessarily agree with a lot of the things he says all the time. But I follow him because he, he'll 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 um, you know he'll call a spade a spade, which is pretty cool. Uh, it seems like the rarest thing right now is the ability to you know call a spade a spade, which is so strange. And that that to me that in, indicates that we're in a time where it, it, it's an, it's we're in a weird time. We're in a, we're in a weird bubbly time. Um, and I, I guess the, the the question of scaling, like people, in terms of like decentralization and scaling, people kept talking about like 20, 30 years, what that's what's that going to look like? But you just you don't know, you don't know what's going to happen in those in that time frame. So we just need to keep keep the Bitcoin blockchain working, make sure that it it retains its essential feature of permissionless value transfer, anonymous as possible. Um, and just wait and I think my strategy like, which is that got me off on this a little bit what my strategy is to participate honestly develop skills develop relationships because I think you know the things that the, the really interesting things the really the the unicorns of the blockchain are going to be built on top of Bitcoin but not yet um, yeah just not yet like the Alta Vistas are getting made right now. The Yahoo directories are getting built right now. The DMOS directories are getting built right now. Just a lot of the things that will be diminished in terms of importance and exceeded in terms of value after they existed. Uh, that's how I see it. I think we have a long way to go. And I'm just, I just want to make sure that um, the incentives are right to keep to get it there um, you know it, seem, it could be that the people that are going to really take the Bitcoin blockchain to the next level are in middle school right now you know elementary school right now 
they're going to have more years of experience, you know, lived experience. Um, I was out at a party. I was talking with some people, some, some people in their 50s and 60s about how they have, when they have technical errors or issues with whatever they're doing, they have a very hard time debugging it. And then they, they call up their teenage son and he's like, oh, did you try this? X, Y, Z, Z, Z. And he fixes it for them right away. You know, and that's because he grew up like swimming in that water. Um, so, you know, a lot of the people at the front of the room for blockchain are in their late 30s and 40s and 50s. Um, those, those aren't the people that are going to matter for, for, for Bitcoin blockchain. Um, they can put their money behind smart, smarter young people, but you know I'm 26, and my sneaking suspicion is it's people who are 10, 12, 13 right now who are going to really make the eventual major impacts and make the unicorns that people are really banking on uh, in the future. So we need to keep working to keep it going. And the other thing is um, all the models people are operating under, in my opinion, are bad. I think p economic you know, models, uh, software models, um, all the different models people are working under are bad. They have always been bad. And they, they should always be changing. And we might need to, it's, and this is very hard to do. No, I mean, this is extremely hard to do. But we need to build a theory, like uh, theoretical understandings of how the Bitcoin works, because you can look, you can take a deep dive into the code and look at it from a very technical perspective, and totally miss all the economic overlay, all the incentives at play, all the um, you know the shoulders that Bitcoin stands on, um, the the things that it's really offering um, if so we need to what we're experiencing right now I would suggest is and we and the thing is we too we don't have very good at theories or understandings of how the internet itself works already you know we're still building those those models and so you layer on top of that Bitcoin on, so you have the internet, which people barely understand. Layer over that Bitcoin, which people barely understand. You're bound to get a lot of mis misinterpretation, a lot of misunderstanding. Um, but we shouldn't aim for everyone understanding, sort of, you know, the ins and outs. You know, no one, no one understands the ins and outs of the internet entirely, and they still operate perfectly well on top of it. Uh, right now, there's a lot of focus on the ins and outs and the technical aspects of Bitcoin but we need to get to the point where you know you can use it and not really worry about those underlying technical aspects and it already is pretty much at that point uh, in terms for a lot of users that need Bitcoin you know the underserved they the ones that are using it like as a closest thing they can get to the US dollar you know they're already kind of at that point and, and that's, the, that's the thing that I always remind myself at these meetings is the people who are at these meetings, they aren't the underserved, you know? They aren't the users. 
So that viewpoint isn't ever um, represented there. And it's really, it's really, it's really obvious. And it's, it's like the elephant in the room is that none of the people there are the users. They are the ideologues and the speculators, which is fine. But, you know, it's kind of the unrecognized truth at these meetups. So I hope, I hope, so the, the thing about po- the, the early, I'm worried that the early half of this podcast is going to be kind of scatterbrained and shitty because podcasting on the subway is weird. It's weird right now, but I'm a little bit more drunk. Um, but, you know, the underserved are on the subway car with me right now. They weren't in that room I just came from. You know, they weren't at that we shared space. They, they're here with me on the subway. And, you know, you could ignore them, which is fine. That's, but, you know. Uh, I've broken so many OPSEC um, rules. <laughs> Basically broadcast where I live. But uh, that's how it goes. I ain't got nothing to hide. All right, so I'm off the train. Woo. I can maybe talk a little bit louder. Maybe <laughs> make some louder points than I was making on the train. You know, I, I think what I just found out on the subway is if you, uh, if you quietly mutter to yourself on the, uh, the microphone, people will look at you less weird than if you talk loudly. <laughs> but now, now I'm back home or on the sidewalk on the way back home. But yeah, so the roundup... You know, uh, do- changing domain, the do- replacing the domain name system remains a stupid idea. I talked about it at the meetup with somebody. And you know how you ha- if you have two separate solutions and you mix them up, um, you can't like then re-separate them? That's sort of how domain names are. It's sort of an irretractable part of the web. And you really wouldn't want to take it out of the web. Like, it, it's, an, it's an integral part to why the web works, why the web is so global, so accessible, so easy to use, is domain names. So just calm your tits and stop trying to replace the domain name system. I'm going to drop a, a link in the show notes to um, somebody may have leaked the all all the U- Turkish citizens information like 50 million people there is some disagreement about whether or not it's like what it says to be or if it's um, old leaks being published as quote-unquote new leaks but I'll drop the link but, I'll sh- but look at what they did they didn't they didn't register a domain name they just use an IP address because you can link to an IP address you don't need to download some special browser um, and then they linked to a torrent. So they used what existed and they got, you know, and it worked fine. So that's what's going to happen. Well, I mean, if, so the, the argument that people keep bringing up to me about replacing the domain system is like censorship and how the, the existing solutions aren't good enough. And you know, they, they, they are, they're just fine. We need to focus on things that aren't possible and stop reinventing 
the old and the new. Like that'll happen eventually. But the, the, the real focus right now, in my opinion, is what's new that we can do? What couldn't we do before that we can do now? And, you know, it's going to take a while to figure that out. So that's why I'm, I'm here to participate, honestly, and bring you, you know, whatever perspective I have. Because all I'm doing is I, I hold Bitcoin. I have some counterparty assets because they are extremely cheap. And they're, um, but that's it. And I'm just holding. And then I'm building skills and relationships. And, you know, in the next five years, who knows where that will go, you know? Um, where I started online was when I was 14. <laughs> this is going to be funny, but... I heard about this guy named Johnny Cupcakes that was selling hats in a town nearby with cupcakes on them, and he was opening a brick-and-mortar store, but he had sold them online originally, and then sort of like upgraded to a brick-and-mortar store. And I was like, what the fuck? I can sell hats. So I Google searched, I found a blank hat seller, bought like five hats for two, $1, $2 each, and I wore those hats to school, and I was, and, you know, I tried to sell hats. The website was called shopwithdan.com because, you know, <laughs> I wasn't a, an advertising or branding expert at that point. Not that I am now, but it was called shopwithdan.com. And, you know, I set up my first e-commerce store, created my first PayPal account. I spammed a bunch of forums. I didn't make any money, and, but I learned some skills. And at the end of it, the only thing left of value were the domain names I had registered. So I had shopwithdan.com. I had like findanybiz.com. Um, and I and one of the forums I had spammed was namepros.com, which is a domain name forum. And so I joined that forum, starting participating, buying and selling domains. The first domain I, I uh, and at that time, it's like 2004, you could pretty much hand register a domain and flip it for like 20, 30, 40 dollars the same day just to somebody like the greater fool, right? So I sold filmcritique.net, not critic, but critique.net for 18 dollars with my first domain name sale. After that, um, I bought 6n.org, number 6, letter n.org, and I bought that for 300 bucks and I flipped it that week for twice that, you know, and at the, at the time I was working a summer job at a farm stand and um, it was like a family owned farm stand. And one, one day, one of the family members came in, she, did, she, she didn't run the farm stand herself, but she came in and she basically ripped us out because we were like the problem, like the minimum wage summer workers were the problem. And I was like, fuck this, like, I'm not about this life. So I took the money that I made buying and selling domains, and I kept doing that. Um, actually, that same summer, I was watching TV. This is a true story. Like, uh, this, is, this is a weird story. There's, there's nothing, I, mean, I don't know what this says about efficient markets or whatever, but I was watching TV, <laughs> and there was an ad for thetvboss.org. The ad council had a 300 
million dollar ad campaign and they were advertising the tvboss.org and so I, I I was like I wonder if they registered tvboss.org without the word the and they didn't they didn't they hadn't done that <laughs> and they hadn't done that uh, um, I'm sorry someone someone's dog just came up on me um, and they hadn't done that which is Weird. So I spent $9 and I registered tvboss.org. They had no trademark and I parked it. That means I just put up ads. And I was making like 50 bucks a day because their $300 million ad campaign was going to me. And I got called up in the middle of history class when I was in high school. And I wanted to buy it, obviously. And I sold it to them. And, uh, hey, I'm home. I'm going to finish the podcast, though. And then I'll be back. Um, but, yeah, so. <laughs> oh, what the fuck? Um, so, for, I sold it to, anyways, I sold it to them for $15,000. Because I, I took, what I did is I, I Googled. And I knew how long their ad campaign would run. And I knew what I was making per day. So I just multiplied it all out. And um, it came out to about $15,000. So that's what I told them. And that was sort of like the number I figured was at a point where, you know, if they, have th if they really had $300 million, and this is a major fuck up for somebody in that organization, they would cut me a check and not get all lawyery on me. Not that they had a trademark anyways. But I was definitely acting in bad faith. But they cut me that check. And the, the web developer was the guy that um, middlemaned the deal, like, or, you know, facilitated the deal. And you could, <laughs> when I told him 15,000, he was like, um, I don't know if they're gonna go for that. I was like, well, you, you tell them. Just take them, take that number to them. And he called me back, and he was, like, flabbergasted. He was like, I can't believe it, but, like, they said, okay. And, you know, he, <laughs> he seemed kind of butthurt because I bet he did get $15,000 to make that website. <sighs> but that's, that's sort of what capitalized me when I was in high school. Is, uh, I flipped a $10 domain name into a $15,000 <laughs> sale, which was ridiculous. Um, and then I took all that and... You know, I started making websites because once you have domain names, good domain names, and you have a little bit of web making skills, you can actually add value to those, you know, and start making websites. So I had actually, what got me into it was I saw, <laughs> I saw on a domain name forum that there was like a website for sale section. And this guy was like selling proxy websites like every, every other month. So he was just like building a proxy website, getting traffic, flipping it building a proxy website, getting traffic, flipping it. And I saw the same guy doing that, and I was like, this must be hella easy. So proxy websites and arcade websites were the things I saw people selling at that time. So I, I uh, downloaded the, the PHP scripts out there for those things and got into that game. One of the ones I made was uh, for arcades. I made um, aburrito.com, which is the Spanish word for board which is, <laughs> I was in Spanish class, <laughs> and I was like, 
know, I learned that in Spanish class in high school. So I was like, oh, board.com. Because all these English words are too expensive. So what if I go for the Spanish words? So I bought aburrito.com for a thousand. Threw a arcade script on it for my time and like 50 bucks. And then I sold that for like 3,000. So then I start getting into the, the website flipping game. Um, the other the other website I made was a proxy. It was phproxy.info. And that was actually the most tra- highly trafficked website I've ever made uh, in my entire life, actually. There was times I was sitting in class in high school looking at my traffic stats. And um, this was also before Google Analytics existed. So <laughs> I was looking at like all stats, which are notoriously not accurate. But I was running a proxy and I was getting 20,000 visitors per day, mostly from Iran, um, China, and Saudi Arabia, um, Yemen, Oman, all those places that have uh, really strict policies. And that was like, uh, this is this is also part of the reason, you know, I, I was, this is what made me ready for anarcho millinery. This is what made me ready for um, Bitcoin. <laughs> is I've, I've, you know, always been interested in these weirdo edges you know places to make money online and you know running a proxy is pretty eye-opening <laughs> actually you know what i did to that proxy so the 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 thing with proxies is you can't make any money off the traffic uh i think more and more there's probably uh affiliate programs for like v, uh, vpn services but that wasn't really a thing then so you would basically throw AdSense on there and hope. <laughs> and what was happening was the bandwidth was so expensive. I mean, 20,000 visitors a month and you're downloading all their web pages, which are mostly porn. Um, what I ended up doing is, because the bandwidth is expensive, is I just, instead of proxifying their traffic, I just iframed whatever they typed in so you would type in your url and i would redirect you to a page that would show you an iframe of the page you typed in but it wouldn't be um anonymous it wouldn't be proxified because then i wouldn't have to pay the bandwidth bill but i could still get the traffic and the ad revenue so (laughs) you know that was a learning experience um i guess the other highlight at that time was um Pornotube.com, you know, I'm a horny high school kid, so I'm masturbating to these websites, and, and you know, typo traffic is a thing you can do, so, you know, this is a great, you know, gray areas, so I, I registered Pornotune, like T-U-N-E, rather than T-U-B-E, I registered Tube, like T-I-B-E versus T-U-B-E, um, again, just like $10, hand-registered, and... Those were getting traffic. I ended up selling those for like $3,000 or something later based on whatever they were making. Um, But yeah, that's what I did throughout high school. And then, then, you know, so I'm on, I started off on the whole forum thing and that's what at the point I was trying to make in, in the beginning is, but I started off on these forums and forums are a great place to learn you know i learned everything i know from forums googling and forums and the way forums operate is that you know it's a community and they have their own cultures and part of that culture 
is usually to have, um, you know, with the production of quality content. You know, that's why I'm out here making content probably is because I, you know, cut my teeth on forums. You know, you basically you participate and you be silly and you, and you post memes and you be dumb, but then you share good knowledge, you know, and people share and share alike and they do it for status. And then those people up their game, they start making more money, they start partnering together, and then they leave the forum. And the forum eventually dies. <laughs> so the d name pros, I kind of outgrew that. Um, you know when I outgrew name pros is I joined a group of, we called ourselves the domain name buyers group. So the idea was that we could buy more expensive names with less risk if we pooled our money or something like that. So somebody would be like, look, I want to buy, oh, uh, let me see, what an example, I'm trying to think, rented, R-E-N-T-E-D.com, rented.com for like $5,000. So, you know, I would put up a thousand, someone else put up 3,000, someone else put up a thousand. And that domain name would get bought. It would be owned by one person but we would like have an understanding that, you know, there's a hundred shares in that domain name. I own like 10 of them or whatever. And so we were doing that. And, you know, I understand my understanding of that right now is that that's a, you know, that's like unregulated, sketchy, whatever, you know, there was no LLC, there was no corporations, there was nothing <laughs> nothing like that. That's another reason that I'm so skeptical of smart contracts and all that stuff. It's like, you can also just do this stuff and probably, probably have no repercussions about it. So this brings me to my next thing, or like my next big hit. And I know you're, if you're listening to this, you're like, oh my God, you're either interested or you're like, shut up. Like, <laughs> this is just like me bragging or something, but I'm not bragging, like, Look, like, people wonder what brings me here. People wonder, you know, why I think I have insights into certain stuff. And here's why, you know. So, you know, obviously my name is droplister.com online, and that's because I was looking at expired lists of domain names. Domains expire every year if you don't renew them. And here's a whole side note. That's going to bring it back to blockchain, but Blockstack has the domains expire on the on Blockstack, which is stupid. The concept of expiration on a blockchain that's immutable um, is kind of silly. That's why I love Counterparty because there's no renewal fees and I own it forever. Because the thing that Blockstack Blockstack doesn't understand or realize is that once you try to expire something on the blockchain you insert reputation um, because if the domain name has expired um, I can still sign like um, from the address that used to own that name like it's I can still sign from that and if someone hasn't been updated to the fact that like things have changed they might be fooled so that gets into oracles and stuff like that but anyways so domains expire every year and you can just get like lists of them and you can see like, okay, here's what's expiring in the next week. And I would, I just would look at these lists 
And the good thing about looking at domain name lists, I, I suggest people, you know, give it a shot. Um, because, you know, you're not, a, you're not a limitless idea machine, but expired domain name lists, most, some of them are stupid, but a lot of those expired domain names represent failed business ideas. And so, you know, you're looking at it, you see like a catchy.com and you're like, hmm, I like that one. And then you like Google it and you see like what, what's out there. And then you, you know, maybe you maybe it looks like low competition. So you do some more research and that's sort of like my strategy or what has been my strategy. And one of the things I, I, I got and I dropped was armybases.us. So armybases.us. And basically I thought like, oh, that, because uh, that kind of lends itself to the .us extension. And it would be cool to see if I could outrank the army or the military. Um, one of the things with SEO, when SEO right now is a lot different than it was then, but you would just kind of like run tests. You would always have like a skunk works. So one of my skunk works was making armybases.us to see if it would rank. And it did rank. And it was making like 20 bucks a day ranking for army bases, army bases in Georgia, stuff like that. It was just a directory of army bases. And what I, what I kind of found was um, all the people on bases, like they really had great resources about mo like moving. People in the military move all the time. But people, like their extended family, um, may not have those resources or they may not, n people on bases just might, may just Google it versus like asking someone on the base, um, you know, and when and people in the military move every two to three years, they need houses, they need new jobs, they need schools, all those things. So it's a very valuable demographic, but the competition for the keyword army bases in Georgia, for example, is uh, not that high. <laughs> it was what it was what I found out, but it's highly searched by a highly valuable demographic. So, anyways, I was making like twenty bucks a day with AdSense, and I figured, okay, if I'm making twenty bucks a day with this, if I made a website um, that targeted Navy, Air Force, Marines, um, Coast Guard, and just like military bases in general, maybe I could make as high as a hundred bucks a day versus twenty. So I contacted militarybases.com and the guy wanted $12,000. Um, he wanted $12,000, which I did not have. I had $2,000 in my to my name. I was about to start college and I, what I did is I basically I, I made a forum post to the domain name buyers group on NamePros. I was like, look, here's what's going on. Here's what I think. Here are my stats. I want to buy this name, build this website. Let's figure it out. And so the same day, you know, they were just like, yeah, tell that guy yes, and we'll raise the money. So I put in 2000 The other guys put in 10000 They sent me that money. Uh, again, no, no contracts, no LLC. Everything's in my name. Our agreement was the forum post. And they sent me that money. Um, I bought the name. And then I went and I made that website. Um, 
and I, basically the what we what we came we agreed upon is um so I put in let's say for easier numbers that it was 10,000 so I put in 2,000 so I I would get 20% of the revenue and they would get 80% of the revenue until they were paid back their principal and then after that they would get 30% of the revenue so it it would flip so we did that and it flipped and I paid them back and um, at its peak militarybases.com was getting 200,000 visitors per month which is pretty cool I mean it's like stadiums of people if you go there now it it's got the same design as when I owned it but it has like 15 more ads than when I owned it it's they, they've kind of they did nothing with it but like put more ads on it but um, basically uh, you know, when I sold it, it was getting like, it, when I, at the time I sold it, it was like 120,000 visitors per month. And I think it was making like $5,000 a month, something like that. And <laughs> I talked to one of my friends. He, he's like this, like, uh, I don't know, he's just like a corporate guy. He, 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 he'll like disappear to Saudi Arabia for two months to set up a company inside of a company to get to VP level. He won't tell you like what kind of company they're setting up. And, like, his girlfriend that works for the same company will, like, be in Peru. And I'll ask about that. And, like, <laughs> I can't, they won't tell me what's going on there. But they'll, like, you know, make jokes about the factories they own in China where it's, like, 130 degrees in the smelting factory. But, like, they only pay the guys 10 bucks an hour. Um, stuff like that. Just very corporate This guy was, I mean, I, I, I grew up with him, so, I, I, like, I like him. But he's, he cracks me up. He's like, Dan, what's your number? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, how much money do you want to make? I want to make billions. And I'm like, I don't know. I want to like not worry about going out to eat. I want to not worry about my rent. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have as specific goals as you, I guess. Um, but anyways, I talked to him one night and he was like, I don't think you need to pay those guys. Because I was, it was like three years later at this point or two to three years later. And their $10,000 investment was looking like rather small when we're, we were making like 5,000 bucks a month. Um, and I was doing all the work and everything's in my name. And uh, yeah, I basically so I was like, look, I told him, I was like, look, <laughs> I'm done paying you. Uh, this is your last paycheck. And at this, I mean, at that point I had paid them back their 10,000 and I think I probably had paid them an additional you know, 50,000 or something like 60,000, like pretty decent returns. Um, and th- they told me, um, lawyer up, like contact your lawyer. I was like, okay. Uh, long story short, we had to s- like, they, they would only let me, s- they were like, look, w- the only thing we'll agree to is if you sell it, you got to remember that they had, all they had was a forum post, a stake in 30% of the revenue. Um, but it was just like, fuck it, you know, like, I don't, I w- if I would gladly sell this just to like end this relationship, which isn't working for me. Um, in retrospect, I really wish that, I mean, you gotta remember I'm like 20 at the time. Um, I really wish someone had, one of them had just called me up and been like, look, like, what's the problem? Like what, what, how, let's work this out. Cause like we're, we're, we're all making money here. You know, uh, that's not what they did. They, they lawyered up. Um, but we sold it, sold it on flippa.com 
for a hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. Um, and beyond the domain name purchase, it was like we invested like five thousand dollars in my time. Um, so that was a pretty big deal for me, but that money like disappeared right away between the thirty percent I had to pay out, then you know the broker's fee, and then the lawyer took like all their lawyer money. Um, I bought a car. Yeah. It it just like evaporated instantly. I <laughs> I took a screenshot of the money in my bank account and I saved it as like lol.png and then like in I'm talking about like the same month, like I seventy five percent seventy five thousand of that money was just like gone. <laughs> oh, and it's gone. <laughs> yeah, and so um actually when I sold militarybases.com, I dropped out of school like the same month. I was like, fuck it, like, if I can make, like, a six-figure sale, um, like, in between classes, which I was mostly skipping, I mean, I spent most of my time in college, like, just getting high, like, taking every drug I could find, uh, and then when I, was, when I was done partying and doing drugs, I was like, okay, I'm done, <laughs> and that was it, <laughs> um, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I, and, I, and I know this is a rant, and I just, I'm trying to make up for the beginning of this show. Um, <laughs> maybe I'm making it worse. I don't know. I think this is interesting, though. I think I have a weird life, you know. I think I, I think I lead a strange life. Um, and I actually j- I just had my my next six figure sale. I just cashed a check this today for it. Uh, I'm waiting for the check to clear and transferring the websites right now. But it's um uh it's basically a, 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 a it's like the same concept. So. I iterate on concepts, you know. I started with army bases, and then I built militarybases.com, and what I'm selling today is military school. Uh, it's a military school website and a boarding school website. So once I sold militarybases.com, I was like, okay, hmm, what else is searched for by state? Um, and sort of, you know, military-like, and so that brought me to military schools. So I'm and there turned out there was no site like that, no there's no national directory, um, for the same for the same reason the military base idea worked and the military school idea worked, is because none of those individual bases and schools have like a mandate to make a national directory, and none of them are good at SEO, so um, I sort of filled a hole, um, <laughs> and it worked. So the military school site. Um, worked and then once that was working um i looked for more opportunities and i found a board the you know so i launched a boarding school website um and that worked as well so i just sold those websites uh today i guess and uh yeah that is the genesis of Droplister. um <laughs> and the reason i sold these websites this time was um, my lawyer from the military bases deal called me up with an opportunity for <laughs> an for uh, like a reputation management um, website idea, business idea. So he called me up. Again, this is like two or three years later, so it, it was pretty funny. Um, I don't know what the timelines are even more. I, I'm, I could be totally lying about the timelines at this point. Everything's a blur. Um, but he he called me up and 
Um, we're, do, we're, we're doing this new thing. Um, and so I sold the military and boarding school site because I know when I, I know when I st- if I stop working on them, not that I work on them a lot anyways, it's mostly passive income. Um, if I stop working on those sites to work on this new project, you know, um, the new project can fail. And then I come back to my old thing and they're like, um, kind of like cobwebby. Um, so I de-risked that portion of my life so that I can work on this new high risk venture. Um, oh, the other thing. So the, the, there's one thing that I left out was the whole affiliate marketing thing. So the domain name game was good. And then I got into websites and then I got into monetizing websites and that at the time, at the time, you know, it was like, must be like 2007, 2008, 2009. That brought me to a affiliate marketing forum, which is kind of funny that, uh, John Seth was a member of that forum and some other members or some other Bitcoin community members, um, lived on that forum as well. It's kind of funny. Uh, anyways, but I was, um, and this will get back to iteration. So I was advertising on Facebook. So Facebook ads, I was advertising on them on that like platform in the first year, probably in the first like six months of them launching. Um, but basically there was an offer where I would get $5 if somebody would sign up. Um, it was like a scholarship thing. So there's these, basically there's these companies that you, I'm sure you've, you've seen them. Okay. No, everyone on the internet has seen them. It's like a 10,000 scholarship. If you're a mom, $10,000 scholarship, if you're a dad and you basically give them your contact info and agree to receive their marketing materials and they put you down their funnel on their email lists and they try to make more than the $5 they gave me to get your info. So I found an offer that was a $10,000 military scholarship or $10,000 scholarship for people in the military. And what I did is I went on Facebook and I made an ad. And I mean, this is one of the most successful affiliate campaigns I actually had. Um, this is also before militarybases.com, I think. No, no, no. Yeah, okay. This is before militarybases.com because um, I did this in high school and military bases is more in college. But anyways, so the ad campaign was basically, are you, so because you can target people on Facebook by their job and people in the military list like army as their job, navy as their job. And so I just set up these campaigns and the campaign was basically, are you in the navy? And it would show a man, or it would show a woman, or it would show a man with sunglasses, or it would show um, different insignias to signify different ranks. And I would have all these different split-tested ads in my campaign, and I would target, you know, males that are 21, males that are 22, males that are 23. And then inside of those campaigns, I would have different versions of the ad, and, um, I would track all the clicks and see which ones were profitable and which weren't. And I would shut off the ones that weren't. And it was uh, really profitable. I mean, I was making, <laughs> I was in high school and I was making, on my best day, I made $3,000 in profit on my best day in high school. 
um, just just basically arbitraging or something like you know buy Facebook click send it to these people make money repeat um, but the reason that I started making websites like militarybases.com versus doing the affiliate thing is um, you burn out on campaigns really quickly you have to spend a lot of money optimizing a campaign campaign um, you basically a lot most of your mostly your campaign starts off not profitable and then you find out okay people men that are 22 in the Marines they are profitable but um, women in the Coast Guard aren't or Men in the Navy are, but men in the Air Force aren't. Um, and you start shutting down the not profitable ones and optimizing the profitable ones. But the thing is, like, with affiliate campaigns, is it's, it's just a revenue stream, and it's not a revenue stream you can sell, and it's not a revenue stream you can rely on. Um, it's very fickle. And with Facebook, what happened was <laughs> I, 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 I had actually reached the entire um, pool of people. So like there was a point in the beginning where it was doing really well, but then, you know, as my ad campaign ran, people had, all the people that had seen it, had seen it at that point. And so the return started to be a little bit worse, a little bit worse, a little bit worse. And it got to the point where I would run it for like two or three days and then I would pause it for like a month and then run it for like a day then pause it for a month <laughs> and it just petered out and that was it. So that's what brought me into, so all that kind of brought, that's kind of what brought me to military bases as well is I had taken all the money I made with affiliate marketing. And before I went to college, I just went and I traveled, you know, like I, I went to China and then I went to Europe. I backpacked Europe, but I didn't backpack Europe the way normal people do. Like I was 18 and I was like there to blow money. Like I think I spent like ten thousand dollars in three and a half weeks traveling Europe. And it's mostly because and I was backpacking, remember, but I went to a hostel the first night <laughs> and nobody wants to hang out with like an eighteen year old dude like by himself. Um that's like not a cool look at hostels, you know? <laughs> like <laughs> it's just not not a cool look. Um and uh, and hostels kinda suck, like they're just like smelly people and they they their clothes are like all over and uh i don't know i just hated hostels but what i did enjoy was going to hotels with a backpack and having them be like it's 300 euros a night <laughs> and i'd be like okay i'll take it for three nights <laughs> uh, and that would infuriate people and just make me feel like a boss so that's what i did with my youth that's what brings me here um, that's a long story. That's my brag session. I don't know. I can, I think that, I don't know if there's much more to say beyond that. That's sort of like the story, but point is all that came out of participating in forums. All that came out of relationships, um, working out at weird times. Um, you know, people I met became investors became the reason I had to sell or like I guess I shot myself in the foot there but like you know I had to sell I meet my lawyer three years later my lawyer is now my partner um, so things that's how that's how things work online and it's probably how things work in the real life 
But right now, in Bitcoin, chat rooms are like those forums. We don't really have forums in Bitcoin. I mean, look, there is Bitcoin Talk. One of the reasons I wasn't involved in Bitcoin earlier is because how gross that website is. It's just, <laughs> it doesn't look like anything is important going on Bitcoin Talk. You know, it's like the default template. It just looks like a shitty, scammy site. Um, anyways, um, but nowadays everything's in chat rooms. Chat rooms are the new forum, in my opinion. And podcasts are the new sticky post. Podcasts are the new, um, that's how you share content. And you um, build reputation and become a community member, build relationships. And then those relationships in at weird times and in weird ways convert convert in win-win situations so that's the whole strategy i have um you know it's a different kind of strategy you know people are coming here to get rich quick and buying tokens and scamming each other and ruining their reputations for short turn games but my strategy that's worked for me and kept me out of the job market and again i'm not making crazy money i make i make like regular salary um but I do, I do it for myself and i get a lot i have a lot of independence and i have a lot of skills uh w- you know i le- <laughs> i learned everything i know through a lot of failure you know a lot of hitting my head against the wall a lot of copying and pasting and googling until that thing that i was copying and pasting and googling stuck um and just bu- building and building and building. So I guess that would make me in my 12th or 13th year of interneting. So, you know, I, I guess it's not fair to claim that level <laughs> of experience when you're only 26. It's like half my life I've been interneting. Uh, but uh, I have. Oh, man. How farty was that? Was that so farty? Fuck. <laughs> Hey!